Church Downtown is a community of people striving to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that you're inspired by the following message to know the love of Jesus more deeply and to follow Him more passionately. For more information about our church, this message, or about being a Christ follower, please visit us at churchdowntown.org. Hey, welcome. I'm Pastor Rob. If you're in middle school, um, thanks for being here today. We have a group for middle schoolers, Everett's hanging out back there, right over there. The middle schoolers meet in that room, and uh, and man, we're excited that you're here. We wanted to get a little time for you, getting to know one another, hang out with your friends, and uh, having an applicable message to the Word of God and how He's dealing in your heart and life. So, uh, yeah, great things going on. I don't know if you noticed on the way in, on this snowy, uh, rainy, whatever it is day, we've got a sign on our church outside. Did you notice that on your way? That's pretty cool. Yeah, give the Lord a hand for that one. Good stuff. So what that means is we've been buying things. Thanks, buddy. We've been buying things along the way as we raise money. We're still trying to figure out what's going on in the kids' ministry. Um, we're, we're working through process of how the walls are going, where the carpet's getting laid. We don't want to waste money. So that's been a little bit of a work in progress. But as we're meeting some of these other markers, um, we begin to uh, bring our little thermometer up here. And uh, I wanted to let you know, I don't know where that little thing is. There it is. We are now up to 95, 2, 3... Some thousand dollars, nine, not five, not 95,000, 9,500 some dollars in our thermometer. Yeah, give the Lord a praise offering for that. All right. I switched. Am I on? Yeah, there we go. So uh, this is exciting. So what we're doing is we're, uh, as, as, again, as we go along, we're raising some money. I'm going to talk about the thermometer here more uh, in, in the message, but I wanted to give you an update on that because one of the things your, your generosity has given is us to be able to label our building out there. So that's pretty cool. So when you drive up, you see our sign, and that's a lot of fun. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving. We're seeing God do great things. If you're new here, first, uh, first time in the building, welcome. Thanks for being part of Church United. God is doing great great things. We're still in the process and in the works. Um, so we really haven't even publicly opened the doors yet. Um, uh, that's coming up in April. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I am so glad you're here if you're visiting. But last week, I kind of gave it, uh, you know, a warning uh, of what this week is going to look like. And here, here it comes again. This is Get Real Sunday, okay? So you might be thinking, uh-oh, did I come to the right Sunday? If you're here, you came to the right Sunday. God has you here for a reason and a purpose and a plan, so we want you to be a part of what's going on, uh, but we're going to have some, as we walk through this series of stretch marks, we've been seeing how God stretches us and grows us personally, but also He's stretching us and growing us as a church. So these are some conversations we're going to have this morning about what it looks like in church to be the church and how we're going to get ready to launch the church. You say, well, it looks like we're launched. Not quite. we got a lot of things that need to get done still. A lot of people need to step up. And we're going to talk about some of these things because the truth is sometimes we have to have some tough conversations, some ugly conversations. And in this series, we've been walking through the, the life of Elijah. And Elijah was God's called prophet. And prophets often were called to step into situations and say some pretty, pretty scary stuff. 
And they were confronting people with the truth of God's word and with what God wanted to communicate to people. And this is no different. We're up to a story with the life of Elijah right now um, that, that he has to say some pretty bold things not that he hasn't already. He's done some pretty bold things already. But now he has to say some pretty bold stuff in order to, uh, to be obedient to the Lord and in order to fulfill the mission that God's called him to fulfill. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 21 is where we're at this week, and we're flying through the life of Elijah. Pastor Robert Hampshire from Village Church was with us last week. Um, that's our sister church, and we're walking through this series together. Pastor Robert's also one of our elders here at the church and helping give us provide direction and stuff. The week prior to that, Pastor Josh Turner was with us. He's a Southern Baptist uh, church plant strategist, um, and he was also the interim pastor while I was on sabbatical last year. Pastor Josh is also one of our elders here. Um, as well, giving us direction and guidance as we are strive to be a church that plants churches. So you've heard from a couple of our guys over the past few weeks, but we've been in this series of Elijah. So they've been catching us up or keeping us up the speed with the life of Elijah. And last year, Pastor Robert specifically addressed this issue in Elijah's life of depression. That you think someone that's called by God, doing what God's called them to do, and, and really the mountaintop experiences that Elijah had, you would think, oh, this guy's got it together. Nothing's going to shake him. He's human. And this is what these stories remind us of. As we read through the Bible, sometimes we have this tendency to say, well, it's in the Bible. These people are superhuman. And it's like uh, watching the Marvel uh, comics or something like that. Like, uh, they've got superpowers. No, they're human. They're just like us. And they're called to do things just as God calls you to do things. They're called to respond and be obedient to God. And sometimes they don't walk in obedience. Sometimes they allow their flesh to uh, get the best of them. And they have to be reminded of this is how we're called called to respond. This is what God wants from us and desires from us as followers. And, and, and so we're reminded of that in the life of Elijah last week, that he hit a very low point that I know many can, uh, uh, can relate with, of a time of depression, a time of struggling, of what do you want me to do, God? So much so that right after this huge experience and God really working through him, he, he runs and runs and flees from in fear and in danger, and God so much protected him. You, you have a trouble like, why, do you, why is he so fearful? But he runs and he sits down under a tree and he just says, God, take my life. Whew. That's, that's, that's powerful. That, that's some stuff that makes you start thinking. And it, it, it also helps me to be able to know that someone else has been there. And that they walked through it. And God had a purpose. And God had a plan for them. And God, as Pastor Robert walked through last week, God has new direction, new things. And it's not the end, but it's when we lean in closer to the Lord. So if you missed last week's message, great, incredible message by Pastor Robert, check out our website, churchunited.family, and uh, check out the media stuff, and you can catch up online there. But incredible, powerful message. So now we see um, what happens with Elijah is uh, we, we have a little break in the story, and they're, they're catching us up on this, the, the life of King Ahab. So what happens with Ahab, this wicked king, his wife, uh, the wicked queen Jezebel, um, is really he's, he's the um, king of, of God's people, of God's chosen nation, Israel, and he's getting them really far off track because they're worshiping other idols and he's brought in all kinds of stuff. Well, Ahab's still at it. He's still not getting what God wants him to do. And it talks about the story of Ahab is kind of sitting in his, in, in his
his cushy palace one day. He looks out his window, and he's checking out his neighbor's house. And have you ever looked out your window and saw your neighbor's house and said, I wish their house was my house? This is kind of what was going on here with Ahab, a little bit of coveting. He sees this, uh, sees this garden, this vineyard that's planted out there by his, by his neighbor, and he says, I, I have to have that. That looks like the perfect thing for me. You know, and it's funny because I can go to someone else's house and I can see their garden and think, I need to have that garden. But anytime we've ever had a garden, it's not the fact that the garden is there and pretty. I need the gardener, not the garden, because uh, it, it all falls apart. Anytime you plant something, you've you got to keep it up. It's like the weeds take over, it grows. But a- anyway, uh, that wasn't quite King Ahab's problem. He just wanted the property. He loved it. He had people that could keep it up for him and take care of it, but, but he, he didn't want to do it. So he goes to this man, um, Naboth, and he says, okay, um, I, I want your vineyard. And I'm going to pay you for it. So it wasn't like he was going to try to take it. He's like, man, I like what you got there. You've done good stuff. Now I'm going to buy it from you. I'm going to treat you well. And and Naboth says, it's not for sale, man. This is mine. It's been in my family for generations. I'm not getting rid of it. I'm not giving it to you. Thanks for asking. Thanks for appreciating the beauty of it. But even though it's touching your property, doesn't mean I'm going to give it up. I like what I got. And King Ahab's very interesting because he's a he's kind of like a big baby. Um, and uh, you see this throughout scripture, or out these stories of him. He kind of walks away and sulks like a little kid. And he goes back in and he's dragging around. <laughs> And he's just doing this. Like, um, that's no joke. I mean, it might be not that ridiculous, but it sounds like it is. And his wife, the wicked Jezebel, comes up, and she's like, what's wrong, honey? And he says, I didn't get what I wanted. And, uh, and, and she says, well, let's, let's remedy this situation. You're the king. You should get whatever you want. And if you want that land, we'll get that land for you. Just, just hang on, buddy. Someone get him a juice box. And uh, they want him to be okay. And they're, they're, they're consoling him and everything else. And here's what the wicked Jezebel does. She plots this, lays out this plan, plotting against Naboth. And she sets this thing up so that Naboth gets all these people around him. They throw him a big party. And then the two people that are sitting next to him tell lies that Naboth has cursed the name of, uh, of the gods and, and he needs to be stoned. So they drag him out, this great turn of events within like two verses. Naboth sits down at this, yay, friends, no, kill him. Oh, he's dead. Um, that, hopefully it doesn't happen that quick in life, these turn of events for you, but that's how quickly it happened in Naboth's, Naboth's time. And they took him out and they stoned him. So this is tragic, but Jezebel comes back in, and she's like, guess what, buddy? Uh, This is her husband, the king. Oh, we got you the property. All you got to do, guess what? Naboth's dead. Woohoo! That righteous guy over there, he's dead. You can have his land. All you got to do is go claim it. So now King Ahab goes to claim the land. But what I like about God is when we're walking in paths that we shouldn't walk, God steps in and says, Whoo, not so fast. Not so fast. So God gets hold of Elijah. He sends him a text or something here. And, uh, and Elijah picks up in verse 17 of chapter 21. And he says, it says, But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Now give him this message. This is what the Lord says. It it wasn't enough for you to kill Naboth, but must you rob him too? Like God said, you you wiped him out, now you're going to take his stuff. Now you're going to rob him. 
Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. So my enemy, so, so Elijah goes, he says this to Naboth, or says this to Ahab, and Ahab says, so my enemy, you found me. So this is how Ahab views God's prophet is he's his enemy because he's never on his side because Naboth is never on this, or uh, Ahab's never on the side of God. He's only always seeming to follow his wife and what she's saying, and he's on the side of wickedness. He's walking and living in wickedness. And he says, so my enemy, you found me. And Elijah says, yes, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you, and I will consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I am going to destroy your family, as I did the uh, family of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, and the family of Basha, the son of Agi. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. don't want to make God angry, especially if that's what happens. That's some rough stuff. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, in regarding Jezebel, your wicked wife, the Lord says, dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. And the members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs. And those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else, side note, no one else was so complete, had so completely sold himself to what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. He was off the rails. Things were going bad, and God was now had, had had enough. He was stepping into this wickedness that was taking place, and he sent his prophet Elijah to have a very ugly conversation and confrontation of the sin in Ahab's life. Verse 26. His worst outrage was worshiping idols. Just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out of the land ahead of the Israelites. This, just, just a side note in here. That's a side note, and this is a side note of a side note. Out of all the things that Ahab did, out of all the rotten, horrible, horrendous things of killing people, murdering, all the stuff of uh, the, the sacrificing and all the things in the prophets of Baal, all the mess that he was involved in, says the worst thing that he did was pledging his allegiance to another idol. Not recognizing God for who God says he is, not believing in God, not trusting in God. And, and it makes me pause for a moment to think how horrendous it is and what an offense it is and a slap in the face of God when we don't trust him in the way that he says we should trust him. When we don't believe that he is who he says he is. When we begin to turn our hearts and our desires to spending more time with other things and giving more other things priority greater than we give God priority in our lives. Whether it's chasing a career, whether it's uh, taking care of our family directly, we say all these things, they can sound good. Whether it's building a 401k, or whether it's finding the best house in the neighborhood, getting a nice car, taking care of your family and buying my wife this, I'm doing that, I'm working for her. All of these things that are out there that we pursue that we can have great justification for them, we should take stock in this statement. 
that of all the things Ahab did, the worst thing that was an affront was that he didn't recognize God for who God is. And we can say, I don't, I don't worship Baal, I don't bow down, I don't have these prophets, I don't do all these things, I've never killed anyone, I've never done all this, I'm doing pretty good. But that first step in acknowledging who God is and just trusting God for who he is is just saying, God, you are God, there is no other, and I will follow you and follow you alone. Anyway, let's go on. Verse 27, when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, he dressed in burlap, and he fasted. He even slept in burlap and went around in deep mourning. Then verse 28, then another message came from the Lord to Elijah, and he said, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised to do during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons, and I will destroy his dynasty. What we see happen here is an amazing thing. Ahab is called, it says in verse 25, no one else has completely sold himself to what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahab was so far gone that God was so disgusted with what he did, he was sending Elijah to send a condemnation on him, on his family, everything else. And when Ahab, all he did was he said, I recognize what I've done is wrong, and I'm going to turn from what I've done. And God immediately recognizes his heart of love and repentance and wanting to worship the one true God and acknowledge the one true God, and God removes that retribution from Ahab's life because he turned. And I see that ugly conversations can lead to beautiful conversions. If we approach the conversation, if we approach the things that are in our lives and we move forward, we can have some pretty ugly, tough conversations. And if we do it right then it can lead to the most beautiful conversions. And in Ahab's time, I'll mention quickly, it, it, it doesn't sound nice because if someone was like, hey, I'll remove the wrath from you and pour it out on your kids, I, I would be like, ah, I'll, just, I'll just take it. I don't want that for my kids. But that wasn't the case in this. It wasn't, and I believe firmly that whoever, the son that followed Ahab was not, he was evil, and it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God judged him because of what he was doing and it was partly because of what his father did. But I guarantee you that if, if, if Ahab's son would have repented and he would have turned, that God would have shown mercy on him as well. Because God shows mercy to those who are willing to turn from what they've been doing and turn their heart back to God and follow him. There's forgiveness for that. There's redemption in that. That's the story of the Bible. That's the life of Jesus Christ. When he came, he said, I am coming to forgive sins. I am going to come, and with truth, he was the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Jesus came in truth and in love. And he changed the course of how we interact with God and how we should view God. It's not quite the same as it was in this day. But what we see continuously, though, Old and New Testament, is a God of love and mercy, but a God of justice. So what's this mean for us today? We come into these places where I believe we have to have tough, ugly conversations. Now, as a pastor, I realize that I may 
be called sometimes to have more of those than some other people, that I have to step into situations, that I have to say, hey, God brought this in and we have to have the tough conversation. But here's what happens. Every one of us, not just a pastor, every one of us as we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to hold one another accountable to follow the word of God and to live according to the word of God. So if, if there's an issue going on in one of your lives, it's not just the goal to come to me and tell me who I need to go yell at. Okay, that's not how that works. But each one of us are given the accountabilities laid out in Matthew chapter 18. If you've got an offense against someone, you go to that person and you talk to them. So all of us have this. It's not just Pastor Rob that's got to have tough conversations with people. Every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ is called to live. And here's what I can guarantee you. The conversation that you think tough will never be as tough as the one that, Ahab, or that Elijah had to have with Ahab. I don't think, I, and, and I may eat my words on this, I hope I don't, but I doubt that in your lifetime God is going to call you to confront someone and tell them that their wives going to be eaten by dogs. Okay? So feel good that, that, this is, that you won't have to go that far with any conversation that you had. You will not have to say to someone that your, your blood is going to be licked up by dogs. Okay, this isn't where we're at now. God's, uh, luckily, Jesus Christ, or we're blessed because Jesus Christ has come. He's, he's changed how that works. So, but, but, but we're still called to walk in fellowship with one another, and if we love one another and care for one another, we're going to be called to have tough conversations. And this is part of stretch marks. This is part of stretching and growing in relationship with Jesus Christ. Being the one that has to have the tough conversation and also being the one that's here the tough conversation and navigating how to respond. And here's what I've learned. As we, we've talked about Church United and we want to be a, a, we desire to be a church that is, is truth and love creating and duplicating. We say we want to be uh, living out the truth of, or we want to be standing or united in the truth of God and God's word and in Jesus Christ. We want to be living out love. And when we do that, we're creating growing disciples so we can duplicate healthy churches. So here's what I know about truth and love. If you try to separate truth and love, it does not equal healthy and growing. It equals damage. If you try to have a conversation and a tough conversation with someone, and it's all about truth, and it's void of love, they won't hear what you're saying. And they'll say you're judgmental, you're condemning, and they'd be right. Because it's not just about truth, it's about truth and love. And then the, 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 uh, the converse of that is true as well, about love. Then if I try to have a relationship with someone and I'm never speaking truth, but I only want to show them love, and I never want to talk about truth, and I want to coddle them, and I want to hope that they get the message. If I did this with my children, and a lot of parents, unfortunately, parent this way. I'm going to be a friend to my child. I'm just going to come alongside them and say, yeah, it's a good job. You failed, and you messed up, buddy, and, and that was awful, and you shouldn't have kicked your brother in the face, but boy, let me just give you a hug, and this is what love feels like and never speak truth, and never try to change the course. If I did that with my kids, and a lot of parents do, the kids turn out horrible. They're far off from what God wants them to be and what God desires us to be as Christians. But truth in love equals health and freedom. You can't separate truth in love and expect health and growing to be accomplished. But growth comes through speaking truth and love together. 
And Elijah came and he spoke truth in the combination of at that time because of where the Old Testament was. I don't think that that, that was quite there, but the Holy Spirit working through Elijah. Elijah confronted with truth, but God showed the love. God showed the mercy. God brought it together. But as followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, what we see over and over again is Jesus having conversations about truth and love. Truth and love. And the way he modeled for us to walk as Christians is we're going to have to have and be willing to have tough conversations with people if we love them. We will have to speak truth. So where do we see this? And I love in the book of John... Um, and I'll just I'll read the verse to you. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you. Thank you. Anyone else? Free. Free. Free is the answer. Let's try it again. <laughs> you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. free. Okay. So what are we free from? If this is the case, and and in this argument, if you read this in John chapter 8, and you pick this up, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. In this whole conversation Jesus was having right at this time when he said that was all about telling them about truth of who he was. And he says, you don't hear me, and you don't believe me because you don't have love in your heart, and you're void of love, and you don't have that. And I'm trying to tell you truth, but you've got no love, and both have to go together, and this is bad. And the end of that conversation with Jesus sharing truth and love, What did it end with? It didn't end with a big applause and people wrapping his arms around him. It ended with the Pharisees picking up stones to throw at him and stone him. So truth and love isn't necessarily always going to lead to, oh, let's all come together and love each other. Because there are two sides to each conversation. One has to be received in love with a desire to uphold truth while the other one is speaking truth in love. So we see this in the life of Elijah. We see it in the life of Jesus. And we can't determine someone's response, but what we know about truth is it sets us free. What's it set us free from? It sets us free from sin. It sets us free from darkness. It sets us free from bondage. And sometimes we think, if I know the truth, the truth will set me free. And it's not freedom to do whatever I want to do, but it's freedom to walk in holiness. It's freedom to live like God's called us to live. So we respond, and how we respond has to be a response of saying, I believe this truth, I want to follow this truth, and no matter how painful it is to hear the truth, I need to take a step of believing Jesus, believing in his love, trusting in him, that this is what's going to help me become healthy and growing and full of love. So there are tough conversations with other people, but then I also believe sometimes we need to have tough conversations with ourselves. Because some of the greatest lies that we believe are lies that we've told ourselves. Or they're lies that we've told ourselves because we've believed what those who aren't speaking truth and love to us are telling us. The world around us condemning us. And and, and I want to tell you what this looks like. 
Because we do tell ourselves lies, and we, we believe the lies of the world around us, and if we're not careful, we begin to believe those lies, and then we're not growing, we're not healthy, we're not full of love, we're full of bitterness, anxiousness, anger, resentment, because we haven't sucked into believing the truth that God tells about us. I love that song said, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We have to remind ourselves of the truths of God's Word. First of all, what I want you to see here this morning is when we have a conversation with ourselves, we need to be telling ourselves truth. And truth comes from God's Word because that is truth. So when it comes to salvation, when it comes to forgiveness, we need to begin there because some of us are walking around and we're not able to forgive ourselves. We're our own worst enemy. We're getting so far off track that we believe the lies, that we think we're worthless, that we think we're not worth anything, and that we can't walk through this life with our heads held high because we don't believe what the Bible tells us. But we have to begin having conversation yourself. If you, say, you ever watch someone, if, if you work with me at all, I talk to myself a lot. I will be in a room and I'll be, you know. I have a lot of conversations with me. And I learned that from my mom. And my mom's crazy. You walk in a room and my mom's just talking. She's having a full-on conversation and no one's in the house. You just walked in the door. And she's in there talking. And I'm going, who are you talking to? Oh, just me and God. Just me. I was just saying what I was going to do to, you know. And then you walk out and you feel bad because you feel like you're leaving a conversation. Well, I'll just leave you to that. You you two go ahead at that. And it seems a little crazy, but I'm telling you, you have to begin talking to yourself. You have to begin telling yourself truth from God's Word. Salvation and forgiveness. John 3.16, claim, for God so loved the world. Guess what? You're in the world. God loves you. He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him won't perish. He'll have everlasting life. John 1.9, if we confess our sins, guess what? He doesn't still hold them against us, but He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He cleanses us from unrighteousness. We're restored. We're redeemed. We're made whole. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, He says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These are promises of God's Word that He wants to speak into you, that you need to speak truth over yourself and begin to believe these things about you, that you've been redeemed, you've been restored. You're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. When it comes to confusion about God's Word, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare not evil, to give you a future, to give you hope. God cares about your future. He cares about where you're going. He cares about who you are. He cares that you're a child of God, that you know that you're redeemed, that you walk in truth. Philippians chapter 419, my God will supply my every need according to his riches and glory. You're struggling financially. You're struggling knowing how you're going to make it. Trust in him. Believe that he's got a greater plan for you, that he's got greater things to happen. He didn't bring you on this world to destroy you but to work through you and to use you to accomplish his kingdom work. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For I know those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You say, was I called according to his purpose? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him? Have you given your life over to him? You're called according to his purpose. These are truths that you begin to tell yourself when you're down and you believe, start believing lies. Tell yourself truth. Have a conversation. Have an ugly conversation with yourself so that it can lead to a beautiful conversion through truth and love. 
anxiety about past or present or future. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand. When you're tired and weary, Matthew 11, chapter 28 and 29, come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. In Isaiah, it says in 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. We have to begin trusting. We have to begin believing that what God says is actually true. That if we believe who he is and we worship him alone, then we need to turn to him in every trial, every situation, everything going on in life. And we have to sometimes have the tough conversation with ourselves to say, this is not what God's created me to do. This is the way, not the way God has created me to walk. This is not the way God has created me to interact with others. This is not the way that God has created me to carry out his purpose and his plan on this earth. But I have to trust in him. And sometimes, even when I don't feel like it, I just have to lean into the truth of his word and remind myself over and over again that I am a child of God. And if I need wisdom, I look to James 1.5, and it says, if you lack wisdom, ask him who gives generously to all without reproach, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Everything goes back to God. If you need hope or reminder for the future of, uh, of the, the fact that this is worth every second of every day, that this isn't the end, that you will struggle, you will have trials, you will face things, if you have questions about that, take yourself to, to the book of uh, Revelation and remind ourselves that he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away this earth is just a trial run you begin to work you begin to have faith in Jesus you live for him you walk for him through the hard times you lean into him believe his truths as the truths of your word claim his promises and we will stand before him one day without pain without fear without any of the things that you suffer in this earth but just joy in our hearts and we'll stand before him redeemed And you say, Pastor Rob, I don't think I can do it. Well, that's a lie from hell. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. You say, you don't know how tired I am. You don't know how wore out I am. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know the issues that I've got. You don't know how, where my health's at. You don't know where my finances are. You don't know where my son's at, my daughter's at. You don't know where my spouse is at. You don't, no, I don't, but God knows. And it doesn't change the truth of his word that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I understand what he's called me to be, and I begin to claim that, and I have conversations with myself about the truth of God's word, I can then put off the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world. Because I'll tell you what, there are a lot of lies. 
And it's not only in the world, unfortunately, it's also in the truth that people are in the church, that sometimes people don't really aren't walking with the Spirit and will walk up to you and say things that they should never have ever said. And you feel damaged and you feel hurt. And I'm telling you, you have to be able to lean into God and His promises and not let people's words destroy you. Not let the words of your spouse who isn't walking with the Lord at that time damage you. Not to let the words of your children who say stupid things. Dad, you don't love me. You don't care. If I begin to believe this stuff and carry this, I've given myself over to the devices of Satan. And I will live defeated in a world that God designed for me to live as a victorious champion for Him. And you may think I'm weird, but I want to tell you something. I have to remind myself of who I am in my calling. I've wrote, wrote down in my journal, and I often go to this when, I, when I'm getting ready to start a day, and I just don't feel like I'm there. You ever had those times where you've got a lot of weight on you, and you wake up in the morning, and you don't even know if you want to try? And you're frustrated, and you're down, and you feel defeated. And I go, and when my time of health, I sat down, and I remind myself of who I am in Jesus Christ. So I, I wrote this. I transcribed it this morning out of my journal. It says, I am a child of the Most High King. It's the start. Understanding, first of all, identifying yourself as a child of God and who you are as a redeemed person through Jesus Christ. That you have value and you have worth because it was given to you by God, not by the world. By God. That I'll tell myself, I am a child of God. I am forgiven, I am redeemed, and I am filled with the Spirit of God. That I am a saint and I am a servant of God. And this is where I start because it's who I am in Christ. And it begins there. And I have to remind myself before I hit some days that this is where it starts. This is where it begins. And then I have to remind, my, remind myself of who I am and who I'm called to be in Christ in my home. That I'm in a loving, I'm an encouraging, and I'm a supportive husband. I have to remind myself of that, and it's sad, but sin gets against us, sin fights us, and our natural reaction is to act out in flesh. I've got to remind myself of who God's called me to be as a husband, that I'm an encourager, I'm not a discourager in my home, that I will tell my wife she is beautiful, that she is lovely, that she is wonderful, that I am so grateful that God paired us together, that we are here for one another. I am a loving husband. And I am also then reminding myself I'm a loving, kind, compassionate father. I model the heavenly father in my relationship with my kids. I'm not angry. I'm not abusive. I'm not mean. But I'm going to speak truth and love to my children. And I am a compassionate, caring father. Because those kids can test you. You've been there, parents? Sometimes you have to remind yourself. When they, you buy them something for Christmas that costs hundreds of dollars, and they whip it down the stairs and play catch with it, and it shatters on the floor, I've got to say, where's my journal? I am a loving, kind, compassionate father. Now let me hit the discipline. But I do it in love. And we have to remind ourselves, and then I have to remind myself that I'm a spiritual leader of our home. That it's my duty, my responsibility. And then in the world, I'm in Christ, I'm in my home, reminding myself of truth, and then in the world, 
And what is the world? I'm not saying the church is the world, but outside, everything outside of those things, I'm called to walk every day as a follower of Jesus Christ. No matter what my job is, no matter where I think God's called me to be or whatever God has aligned that as, I am in the world and I'm serving in the world. What does that look like? Well, number one, for me, I'm a visioneer. I'm a dreamer for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I have to remind myself so that I don't get bogged down in the administration duties of the church and building facilities and all the other stuff that goes along with my job here. Then I have to remind myself, no, God has first of all and foremost called me to be a visioneer and a dreamer for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if I don't spend time doing that, this is just a building. And it never reaches people with the glory of Jesus Christ if we're not intentional about being what God's called us to be. And I remind myself, I'm called by God to do what I'm doing. I'm empowered through His Spirit to lead His church, to plant and revitalize churches. It's what He's put on my heart. It's what He's created me to be. And I need to remind myself today that that's what I'm going to do. I'm an equipper and trainer of God's people to carry out the kingdom work through His church. I'm a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led communicator of of God's Word. I'm one who speaks truth and love to those who put God puts in my path. And we have to sometimes remind ourselves because if we don't, we get off track. And I can't say that everything on here that I always uphold, sometimes I have to breathe at the end of the day and I have to be reminded that I've got to go back and apologize because I didn't live like I was supposed to that day. I have to walk behind me and my family sometimes and say, I'm sorry because I didn't respond like a loving, compassionate husband. I'm sorry, honey, I was not encouraging today. That's not the role I've been called to have. I'm sorry, church, because I'm not superhuman and I drop the ball sometimes. And I don't have conversations sometimes that are always filled with love and with truth. Sometimes I'm just more interested in truth. Sometimes I let you down because I only speak out of love. We have to seek forgiveness, but the truth of it is, I'm not a failure. I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been restored, and God loves me. He cares for me. He has a wonderful plan for my life, has a wonderful plan for your life, and he wants to use you to advance his kingdom in ways that you never imagined he could use you if you would just trust in him and believe and step forward in faith and say, I don't care how I'm feeling today, God. You're going to part the waters in front of me when I step in faith and walk in victory today. This is what he's called us to, church. But you have to have those tough conversations with yourself sometimes. You have to remind yourself of truth. You have to remind yourself of who you are as a child of God. And when you're there, and when you know what God's called you to be, and when you're confident in what God's done for you, it makes it so much easier to have tough conversations with other people. Because you really are walking in truth under the light and love of God. And you really do care for people. That's our heart, my heart for us. That's my heart for our church. That's why we've said we want to we put a banner out that says we will speak truth in love. That's what we want to be about. Boy, you're quiet. Yeah. Every time I've walked in here over the past six months because of all the leaks and holes in the roof and stuff like that, I walk in and if it's raining outside, there's a big fat drain right there that's running water off the roof down here, and I walk in and think, oh no, (laughs) 
where is this water pouring through the floor? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to see it somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's all over there. It's water. It's our water feature here at the church. A lot of churches don't have water features. When we do the baptismal, what we're going to do is put a little pipe, a little valve on there, uh, and just kind of a, a heavy sprinkling here. Um, Does anyone have a tissue? We're just talking now. Anyone have a tissue? I'm not using it as a personal illustration. I just need to wipe my nose off. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate you. So, this leads me to the last thing I want to deal with today. This is the Get Real Sunday. You need to get real in your own walk and in your own life in your own relationship with God, of what God's called you to be, how he's called you to act in this world and live, in your home, in your family, in your relationships, in your interactions with other Christians. But then there's this idea of saying, hey, we've got this, what God's called me to be, who I am in Christ, and then who I am in my home, and that responsibility there. But then who we are in the world, what God's called us to be as we walk as followers of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to this church. What are we doing? Why are we in existence? What do we think that God's called us here for? It wasn't just to listen to the sounds of the water and, and doze off, you know? Uh, we have mission here that God's brought us to. And we are so excited at Church United because God has, has, has brought us to this place, has blessed us with a space, has blessed us with the opportunity to do what he's called us to do from the beginning. We've said this, uh, shared this motto from the beginning of our church started. We desire to be a place that we create a comfortable environment for people to be confronted by the gospel. And there are all kinds of ways that you can go about witnessing. And I'm not telling you, you should, this has to be your personal motto for your life. Because you need to be about evangelism and going into the world and preaching the gospel and sharing the name of Jesus Christ every day and in every way. But how we've positioned the church is we look at Sunday morning. I mentioned it last week. We look at Sunday morning really as a pit stop. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ and believers, this is a place where you step in and you get filled up. And, and you figure out what that means to worship God. And you do so in this context, but it's also a place where you can go out into the world and invite your friends to that may not know or have a relationship with Jesus Christ or your neighbors. You can invite them into this place where they step in here and they might not feel, hopefully they don't feel condemned, they don't feel judged, but they feel loved and they feel the presence of something different, even if they can't explain what that is, and they see things that they can relate with and connect with, but then we can confront them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want to offend someone. If they're going to be offended, I want God to do it. That's the nice thing about the truth of God's word. When we stand on his word, it's just agreeing with what God himself has said. So our desire is for people to come in, have a comfortable place where they can go, where they can connect, but then they're confronted with the gospel, the truth of God's word, things that I'm saying this morning, truth of who Christ is and what he's called us to. So what this means is there's a lot that has to take place here in order to create a place where people feel safe, where they feel welcome, where they feel warm and loved. And we have not opened the doors of the church yet, just in case you were wondering. April is the grand opening of our church. So you being in this room and having sat in here, maybe it's your first time today, and this is a great day to be here because you can hear what we're going to be all about, and you can hear how you can help. Or maybe you've been here for the last five years, or maybe you just came in at the front side of this year, or somewhere in between. But God has you here today for a purpose. So I want to challenge you as we speak truth in love. Worship. Worshiping God 
is not just about singing. When we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we say we want to be gospel-driven servants who are genuine worshipers, who are generous givers. All three of these things have elements of serving in them. That you have a responsibility and a duty to serve. Gospel-driven servant means the way you serve is you're driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ to interact and love on people. A genuine worshiper, serving is worshiping. I don't know if you realize this or not, but it's not just about singing, but everything you do and every way you act and all the activities you're involved in, they can be a part of pointing people and serving the king. That's part of worshiping, pointing people to Christ, serving him. And then generous givers, time, talent, treasure, thanksgiving, that's giving of yourself completely, that's serving. So we're all called to be servants. So here's where the rubber meets the road. Whether you like it or not, and you can get up and run out if you want to. I won't, I won't have anyone tackle you. But we've handed some things out in your bulletins today. These are areas that we need help in ministry. I'm going to start with the biggest one. This one right here, front and back, is taken up just by our kids' ministry. And the other side of this is, not the other literal side, but the other side of this coin is that these aren't all of our ministries in the church. There are other ministries in the church as well. But I want you to know, we count it up, and it takes somewhere close to 50 people to run a service. 50 people volunteered in some area, in some way, to make a service go. So if we wanted to put this out, just put this in perspective, if we wanted to say you're on a rotation of once a month serving in some capacity in the church, that means we need 200 people in order to make that happen. That there's a rotation and people are serving once, once a month in some capacity on a Sunday morning. Now, I want to tell you this. As you look around and things get filled up, and, and this is probably because of weather or something a little bit lower, probably the lowest Sunday we've had since we've been in the building, but God knows what he's doing because he brought the cool core group people here this morning. <laughs> what we need is as soon as we open these doors and begin advertising and launching, what we're going to be in is a second service. All of a sudden, now we've got two services. And what that means when you run two services is not do we need just 50 people a week, but we need 100 people a week to serve in some capacity on Sunday. We've had an average with children of about 260 people every Sunday since we've been in here. And I'll tell you, our last Sunday in our other space was about 90, 100, 110 people. So God, from one week to the next, from one building to the next, more than doubled our attendance. Praise God for what he's doing. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. But this, a lot of the same people that have been Serving those 80 people are the ones now serving the 100, or now serving the 260 people, and that's a lot of work. And as we begin two services, we need to get you plugged in. So if you're here this morning and you've never served in any capacity, or you used to serve in some capacity in the church, and you're wondering what that looks like moving forward, wonder no longer. Here it is. Children's ministry. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You begin reading these and looking at them. I've got clipboards that we've put together and our teams around the room and we're not, I'm, we're locking the doors and, uh, <laughs> and we're not leaving until we get the names on this thing. I, I'm this is get real. This is me, truth and love. You are missing out on a blessing of God in your life in full experience of ministry and serving him if you're not serving 
in the church. God has called us to serve. God has called us to work among one another. You say, well, I miss a service. My goal is that when we start two services, it's this idea of serve one, worship one. You never miss anything. You can serve in one service and you can attend the other service. And you say, I can't be at church. That'd be like four hours. Yet you'll sit down and watch a football game for like three and a half to four hours. I'm not buying it. This is the most important thing we do. And let me just truth and love to you right now. Sports, work, money, chasing your dreams, all that stuff outside of this, none of it matters in comparison to a relationship with Jesus Christ and living your life in service to the king. That's everything. So I don't have time, not too busy, or I'm too busy, or I'm not too busy. I've got other, you know, whatever. I don't know what your weird excuse is, but they're excuses. They're excuses before God, and they're excuses to the church. So we need to step up and serve. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to say, God loves you so much, and I love you enough to tell you, if you're not serving, you're not fulfilling what God's design is for your life. Because your purpose on this earth is to worship the king. So, let's worship him. Kids ministry, we need some nursery volunteers. We've got a lot of people already signed up. This team currently needs a minimal addition of two more people that would be willing to sign up to work in the nursery. If you're willing to work in the nursery, say, hey, I could do that right now again. Here, let me tell you this right before we start. One more reminder, right now, it's once a month that you'd be signing up to serve in a rotation. If we start two services, you would be serving twice a month. And you say, that's, that's, that's twice as much. Uh, yeah, but you never miss a service when we start two services. You can attend every service. So you're volunteering to serve twice a month, but you never miss anything that's going on in the life of the church. So that's what you're signing up for. I need two people that would say, I'm not currently on the nursery schedule, but I would love to serve and help in the nursery. Raise your hand. We got one back there, and we got one over here. So we get a clipboard. Thank you. Yeah, praise the Lord. We got two volunteers for the nursery. Preschool. We currently need one teacher, and we need five helpers. Five helpers. Now, well, let me tell you about this really quick so you understand. We normally just had two, like two people in there. We're now changing and stretching out our kids' ministry to have enough helpers so that you don't lose your mind when you're in there with these kids. Okay? So we've already got teachers in there. We've already got it going. We've got helpers. So there's three people that you're connected with. We're not going to shove you into a room in the nursery or in a classroom by yourself and say, go get them, Tiger. Um, we have you with a team of people so we can hopefully help you keep some sanity, okay? So we need preschoolers, and we need, some, we need a teacher, and we need five helpers. If you're willing to help out in some capacity in preschool, I got a couple up here. We need a clipboard up here. So we got two. Who else we got? Anyone raise their hand? Boy, this is like an auction. I can't do that. Hey, we got a couple right back there. And if anybody needs one of these, raise your hand, and we'll get you this list handed out as well. But uh, we got the clipboard back there. There we go. Okay. First grade, K through first. Now, I want to tell you one of the things we're also doing in our kids' ministry is we were doing kindergarten through um, second grade and third through fifth grade, and that's a big age gap. So what we're trying to do now is we're trying to make the classes a little smaller and more concise to the kids. So we're starting a whole other class 
So it's booking a whole new classroom here. So um, K through first, second through third, fourth through fifth are the age divisions of the kids, and we need to get people signed up to serve in these areas of ministry. If you would be willing to work, and you can check the box when you raise your hand. I'm just going to have you raise your hand on this one. You can check the box on where you'd like it to go, and we'll sort things out later. But if you would be willing to be a helper uh, or, and or teacher in some capacity for our or uh, K through fifth grade, you can work that out with the children's ministry. Raise your hand and say, hey, I'd be willing to help out teach in those classes or be a helper in those classes. Just say, hey, I can, I can do that. Just slip your hand up and say, hey, that's me. You can mark the box. Okay, the doors are locked. We're going to be here for a long time. What's that? Oh, yeah, yep. If you start flooding this place out as the water gets up to your chins, you'll be like, oh, help, oh, help. Pull the plug, Pastor. Anyone willing to say, I'll serve in those areas in kids' ministry? And, and also know this, okay, because I don't want to make you all feel bad. If you're currently serving in some capacity in the church right now in a ministry on Sunday morning, raise your hand. Okay, so there's, that will help you in some capacity see that, there are, that we just don't have a bunch of non-helping people. Like over half of you in the room are already uh, serving in some way on Sunday morning. So sign that out when, as the Spirit convicts you as I go on. You can raise your hand and sign your name on there. Um, check in. What this means for kids ministry is not that you're teaching or not that you even have to interact with kids necessarily. Um, we'd like you to smile at them when they walk in the door um, and be nice to the parents. We need friendly faces, but helping in some capacity with the check-in ministry. When kids come in, families come in, helping them get checked into nursery, uh, preschool, all the, all the kids ministry. Anyone that say, hey, I got a little bit of a computer skill, I can help hit a button. I see one over there. Um, so we need, we need a lot more of those. Uh, there's a whole eight. So we got uh, up here we got uh, a clipboard. Right here we got a clipboard helping in check-in. Yeah, thank you guys. Hey, here's one. If, if anyone has the ability to do or knows sign language... Um, we really need you. We have some kids in kids ministry that we have a rotation now. I think of already three or so signers. But um, if you have the ability to sign, we would we would love to get your help in signing. So raise your hand and ask for a clipboard, and you can mark that down, and we can get you pointed in the right direction there. Um, now we have the large group. This is uh, teaching, like the kids at a grander scale. You have to have some energy, some excitement, some love for kids. If you're like, man, that's me, I would love to get up in front of kids, lead them, lead some music and stuff like that. Not that you have to play instruments and stuff, but it's canned music and you're just singing along with the kids, getting them energetic and happy, and then helping uh, in, engage in, in teaching. Um, we need some people to help in that capacity. Is there anyone that would feel like they have that giftedness? Say, I'll help in that capacity. This is fun. Isn't this fun? You're like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Good for you. Just think how uncomfortable I am trying to run 50 ministries by myself on Sunday mornings. No. 
No, we got a good team of people here. We do. All right. So ask for that. If, if this clipboard goes around at any point, you want the clipboard and you're going to check your name, just raise your hand up. If, if, as the Spirit convicts you heavily, throw your hand up. And uh. So now we're on to this other one. Here's some of the other things that happen Sunday morning in here. We need some help. With, we got a lot of stuff that happens from lighting to the computer stuff on the screen to sound. Um, if you'd be willing to help in some capacity um, with sound or video, we got the video stuff up here. We'll train you. We'll teach you what to do. All these areas of ministry, you get trained. So just know that. We're not just going to throw you under the bus, um, but you get a training for these things. Um, anyone willing to say, hey, I could pitch in in this production area, lighting, sound, running a computer, some of these things. Okay, we've got, we got a hand here. We need a few more of those. i got one back there. Anyone else? All right, now, here's a biggie. You ready? First impressions. Can you smile? This is the criteria for first impressions. You know, we'd like you to have a little bit of a brain, but not much. If you just, no, no offense to our current first impressions people. Uh, <laughs> No, we want to be friendly. We want to be warm and welcoming. So if you're like, dang it, I'll do it. No, I do not want you to do it, okay? That's not what we're looking for, okay? We're looking for people that can smile when someone walks in the door and say, hey, welcome to Church United. We're glad that you're here. And then, we'll t again, we're training you in all these things. If that's you, raise your hand and say, hey, I can help out in some capacity and first impressions. I got, a, I got a smile and I got a heart. Oh, Rachel, you got a smile. Look at that. So pretty. No offense, Keith, you're purdy as well. Uh, you got a nice smile too. All right, thank you guys. Um, the, the other one that we've got is we've got a safety team. We've got some volunteers that have been running this thing and doing such a great job since we've been uh, going. But really what the goal is of the safety team is helping sure the safety of our churchgoers walking around, making sure all the dark corners of our building are, are safe, um, making sure everything's under, under wraps, also helping sometimes with uh, making sure parents got the right kid at the end of the service. We, they pitch in on some of those things. But if you're, if you're like, man, I... I I could do that. I could walk around and, and uh, help out in that capacity. We could use ladies. We could use guys. It's just some people we can call on if there's something uh, that, that needs some attention. If you're like, man, I could, I could like to do that. All right, see a hand for safety team. Anyone else that would be willing to uh, say, hey, I can help out in that capacity? Guys, gals, safety first. Jesus first, safety like fourth. But, um, you know, kids' ministry, we'd like to be. Anyway. Uh, safety. And then we've got our, our prayer team. That's the last thing I'll mention. Um, these folks, uh, just we, we would really say in order to be part of the prayer team, we'd like you to have a heart for prayer um, uh, and, and be willing to maybe chat with people. We've got a prayer banner in the back. Sunday mornings we have a rotation that will set up for that. And if I'm sharing a message or something like that and something is God impresses something on someone's heart and they want someone to pray with them, it's just people that would be willing to stand back by the prayer banner and say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pray with some folks and, and, uh, and love on them a little bit. Anyone that would be willing to serve in prayer ministry in that capacity? It's got, I, I see a hand in the sound booth back there. Um, and I got a hand up here as well. Uh, we'll get a clipboard. Okay. Man, last thing, and then we'll let you go. Uh, kind of, and I'll share what that is. But um, if, if any point in time you're like, oh, I thought he said something, or I want to see if that's on there, just raise your hand and we'll get you that clipboard in here. Thank you, guys. The heart of the church is the people. 
The, the church is not the building, it's you. And we operate under the gifts of the Holy Spirit through his people. So we're excited about what God's doing here and we're getting amped up and we're getting ready to serve. The doors of the church begin praying, begin praying. The doors of the church open April um, 7th, I think the first Sunday, whatever, as we begin advertising in April to say, hey, let's get this ready. So what, what we're gonna do after this is in about 15 minutes, we're gonna start our, is that right? 15? 10. 10 minutes. We're going to... Oh, I'm supposed to be... I had... This is my marker for quitting. Dang it. It was the meeting starting. Oh, now we're moving to a meeting, so you can't go anywhere. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what I want to do is the heart of the church is you guys. Thank you for praying. Be part of this. In about 10 minutes, we're going to have a meeting. Uh, it's a family meeting. Just updates on ministries of the church. We'll let you know when the next training sessions are. But you put your emails, all that kind of stuff down on the piece of paper. That Thank you for doing that. Um, 